Hi, I'm Eamon Fennell. Welcome to another episode of The Hotball, courtesy of AIG and Dublin GAA. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Dublin and Australian legend, Brian Steins, about his career, how he's dealing with COVID-19, which is a pretty remarkable story that I think you'll enjoy, and just what he's doing now as well. So uh, hope you enjoy the episode. If you have any questions, keep feeding them through Dublin GEA. Cheers. Thank you. Stonesy, how are you keeping? Welcome to the to the hot ball with uh, AIG and Dublin GEA. It's, it's great to see you, especially since your cruise of a two-week holiday lasted for, what, the guts of a month? It was about seven weeks, actually. Yeah, so, uh, hey, Eamon, how are you going? Yeah, so we did go on a cruise around South America just before the whole thing got out of hand, this, this pandemic. And um, we had a beautiful two weeks around South America and with two hours to dock in Santiago in Chile, they, um, they came on the thing and said that they've closed down their borders to cruise ships. So um, we went around in circles for, for a week and um, finally, they wouldn't take us in. They had the American government, everybody trying to convince the Chilean government off the ship because most of the people on it were American. And uh, in the end, we had to um, spend three and a half days with, two, with like, it was like Bill and Bob on a, on a, on a uh, barge coming out with our supplies to, uh, to a huge cruise ship, you know, with 2,800 people on it. And it took them three and a half days just to load what takes four hours at the dock to get onto a cruise ship. And then... Um, then we finally, America said we could, we could go there because nobody else would take us in. So we spent another 10 nights cruising up to there. And then um, we managed to get flights, two flights to get out of America and then over to Sydney. I live in Melbourne, Australia. So we went to Sydney and of course, three days before we got home, Australia decided that everybody that came from overseas got quarantined in a hotel for two weeks and you couldn't go outside the door of the hotel, outside the door of your room of your hotel. So you're in one room for 12, for 14 nights and uh, you got fed. Uh, you just got a knock on the door every three times a day and you had to wait for 30 seconds so you wouldn't affect them and then you open the door and you take your food in. So it was a bit like a jail, but anyway. Um, as I was saying before, some, some people got five-star overlooking Sydney Harbour. We got the Travel Lodge, which is a shithole. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that was our uh, penance, so... Shouldn't swear, but anyway, yeah. But Did you have it? Do you even have air conditioning in it? Yeah, no, they, they have air conditioning, but the you know that's that's the issue. You want to get fresh air, not air conditioning all day. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, look, we we uh, we've done it now, so we have the story to tell. So it's all good. Seven and, weeks, uh, though. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it was a it was a sort of a long time, seven weeks. Yeah, we went away for two, but um, then as I said, you probably people just here there um. I'm unfortunately in Melbourne to have to get in lockdown tonight at 12 o'clock. We get locked down for another six weeks. So uh, we've got to do it all again. So, uh, and, and is this, this lockdown that's happening, so this is the second lockdown that's going in. It's another six-week lockdown. This is statewide, is it? And this is just for Melbourne now. Um, but if, it's, if it gets anything out of Melbourne, then it'll be the state of Victoria. But at the moment, it's the greater Melbourne area. So, which is the four and a half million people. And so, um, so yeah, so all of the businesses, everything. Because restaurants and bars had all just opened and had just started, you know, operating again after getting all the supplies in. And now they've got to close the whole lot again. So it's, uh, it's tough on some people. 
you like you seem to be really affected by coronavirus in terms of your like your cruise ship uh having to stay in the travel lodge for two weeks you know you're going into another six week lockdown but you, you your business hasn't really suffered has it like you know you've actually stayed yeah, well, working yeah so so um so my business if you look enough they've got a building side of stuff and they and that stayed opened and um, so because that's they're allowed to keep keep building and uh, all the way through it and I've got child mining centers and they're allowed to stay open as well because they figure that they need essential services people need to put their kids into care so and uh, we're, we're subsidized by the government so so that them two things are say but look they're, they're not as good as they were we, we lost a lot of kids because a lot of people don't need it anymore and they can't afford it and they've lost their jobs and different stuff so everybody's you know hurting in different ways but um you know unfortunate enough that number one we i haven't uh got the, the illness and none of my family have and uh so you know that's a good thing and you know everybody else is a lot of people worse off than we are so we're okay and we'll uh we'll keep going and do another lockdown and hopefully we get on top of it again you know but at least you're in your own house to have it this time. Uh, yeah, much better. Yeah. When you were stuck on the cruise ship and in the travel lodge, like if you've uh, your kids are what nineteen, twenty-one. You were you were saying. Yeah, they're twenty-two and twenty this week. So was there that fear of a Project X just going on in your mind when they were at home with uh, no parents around? Yeah, look, uh, we did get a few calls from neighbours complaining about the noise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we had to keep it. Come on, turn the music down. And all yeah, the world. But um, now they were they were pretty happy. Yeah, it was a pretty popular place around here. We weren't here, so uh, we're not. They're pretty good boys, so they they looked after the place to an extent. All right. Well, it's good to know we weren't on national news as a as a big oh, party. Oh, also. Oh, on Facebook or something. Yeah. So uh, we're good. Yeah, so you're you're kind of you're you're getting a bit more settled now that you're back off the cruise because I imagine like seven weeks away from home, all the challenges that come with that, and then having the businesses that you have and the kids and trying to even get back into a routine of just normal rhythms and routines. It's been probably challenging in that way, trying to get back up to speed with with everything. Haven't been away for so long, I'd imagine. Yeah, look, it is. Look, look, luckily we have the you know the computer and the phone, you know, so um. I was able to communicate that way, but obviously the time differences don't help. Yeah. So it was a bit challenging that way where I'm up, you know, after we, especially on the cruise ship, like you, lucky enough, we were able to go out for dinner and do them normal things. So it wasn't as bad. And, um, but then, then um, we'd come back, you know, my wife would go to bed and I'd go outside and start doing business, you know? So, um, that's just what, cause Australia would, would wake up, you know? So that was the way it kind of went for a while. But like everything you do, what you have to do. Um, but, um, and then the hotel room was actually, it was good to have something to do because you go, you go, you go mad, you know, just, just yeah. walking around the room all the time. So I was able to, you know, that kept me occupied doing business. And because the, the, the whole uh, rules around the childcare kept changing and governments kept changing what they were going to do and not do. So we had to keep implementing new things. But that kept me kind of busy and got through that period. But for my wife, it was a lot harder because she, she does, you know, she didn't have a job to keep her occupied so she used to go nuts listen to my voice all day on the phone <laughs> and she's like would you just shut up and just stop the phone call for 10 minutes so if, she, um, if she's listening now tell her i'm sorry about this again <laughs> inflicted more pain on her. yeah that's right so um but then uh, now so we, we we got through it anyway and then so we were really happy to be back in a lockdown 
where we were in our own house, you know. So yeah, we were yeah. Quite happy with that, you know. And then, so we got through that, and then obviously we got out to start doing more things and getting, you know, restrictions eased. And unfortunately, we're we're going back into it again. So we can't, you know, have any friends over, and we can't, you know, meet anybody. Just go out for exercise and the essentials, you know, shopping and stuff. So. You know, but we're allowed going for walks and stuff, so we're lucky enough that we, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a pla- I actually live near the sea, so we're okay. I was about to say, I, I want to touch on happier things that, that have happened in your career, but are the beaches at least open again or are they shut down? Yeah, they're, they're open, but unfortunately, we're in the southern part of Australia, so um, we're actually cold at the moment. This is our winter, so um, but still, it's, it's nice once the sun shines, you can imagine it. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine it being warm, but yeah, no, it's but it's still nice to be able to go and do that, you know, walk along the beach and and uh, you know, it's 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 nicer each day and watch the sunsets and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, no, I, I was lucky enough to be in Australia for three weeks in February this year and uh yeah, we kind of the lifestyle was a, a lot different than what we're used to. I mean, my wife and I we had her her, her wife lives over there in uh Caloundra, just outside Brisbane. We were having serious conversations by week two about whether we could we could stay over here. Uh, but it was the summertime, obviously, so it was, yeah, yeah. It was extra. I was unbelievable. Just I wasn't used to that humidity and sweating. Like you know, I usually sweat just breathing, but the humidity over there just drove it to a different level altogether. Uh, yeah, right. As I said, we're going to talk about happier times. So I want to kind of come back to to your career and uh, how you kind of got involved, and then. Like you, you obviously played minor with Dublin. Uh, you, you, you moved to what age did you move to Australia at then? Yeah, so I, I played, I played minor in, in '88, and um, so so Desi Farrell and Jim Gavin were on my minor team. Um, fellow Sean Cahill that played, he was on the minor team as well, and Brian Barnes had a bit of a stint with the team as well. So those guys were on that minor team, and um, we uh, and probably from from your close and Moylan. He he got a few runs in the in in the league for Dublin and stuff from Vincent's, but um, so we we had a good minor team. But at that stage, I was only sixteen playing that minor team, um, and um, Australia came, Melbourne came and had a look at some of the games, and they had recruits going around looking at the minor games around the country, and they picked thirty two of us out of the the teams to come and do a clinic um, in uh, it was down near near um, Malahide. And we did a, a three-day clinic with 32 guys from around the minor teams. And then um, a three, after three-day clinic, they offered two of us a fellow called Tommy Graham from Roscommon. I played with Roscommon and, uh, and myself got offered a contract to come over to, to Melbourne. So um, we, I obviously took it and um, went in, in, uh, in 89, um, sorry, eight, the end of 88 in, in November of that year. So I was just just turned 17 birthday and and uh, and I was gone I turned 17 in in the in this end of September and and was and was over here so um I had to go and, and redo my school I hadn't finished school so I finished school over over here and, and played at Melbourne and played for the school and, and got straight into it yeah at 17 yeah yeah so I was uh, yeah on my own make my how own was, decisions at 17 how was that like were you living with a family or were you just yeah, at the, at, the, at the start, I was just sort of with the recruiting officer guy for a few weeks and with somebody else for a few weeks. And then they got me in with an Irish couple, an old Irish couple. Um, and then um, so she did all my cooking and washing and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, so that, that was fine then, you know. But, um, but as far as everything else, I was, yeah, you're, you're, 
my own person, you know, I had to open bank accounts and do myself and, you know, get health insurance and get all the different things that normally you would do as you, as you become an adult, you know. So, yeah. um, so I grew up very fast. But even at that, like trying to get that stuff done around 88, 89, you know, technology wasn't so far advanced back then. Yeah. So trying to get advice yeah. from people was obviously, I'd say, challenging and trying to Google how to do things wasn't obviously there at the time. So No, you know, there was nothing now. You just had to ask questions to people <laughs> in the club and bring up different people and ask the people you're living with and, you know, different players and players, you know, that were there and trying to ask them what, what do you do and what, what not, you know, and then... Um, so it was a, it's a learning curve. My, my brother was here at the time, but the first eight weeks I was here, he was back in Ireland on his holiday for Christmas. We didn't go back for Christmas. It wasn't like nowadays where they fly back every five minutes. They, uh, we, we, I, so I, that first stint was from that November till the following December. Like, so it was, um, you know, it was like 14 months or so before I seen my family again. So it was, um, it was a really long time for as a young person, I had four other siblings that were home, you know. So, um, yeah, it was a long you, time for them. You, like, did all that, like, it obviously helped you grow as a, as a person, but did it, did it impact your, your uh, performance in terms of, like, your preparation for games and all that kind of stuff? Because you're going to new city, new culture, and uh, new, new experiences, like, you know, and you have to kind of grow as a person and then, you're kind of taken away from from your when you're playing GA at home. You know you're kind of just able to go out and play, and I have to worry about all these extra things. Do you, do you think that might have played a factor in like your preparation for games? Did it impede in any way at all? Um, look, I, I think um, there was. I had the other Irish guy there. He was probably in the same boat, but he only lasted a year. But it, it was. It definitely. Um, it made it made you um, very responsible very quickly because you know if you just went out and do the wrong thing and just went to nightclubs and pubs and all that you know you, which we we were able to do you know but because uh, nobody was there to, to police you but um look you, you know you just wouldn't have got very far you know and I was pretty committed to um to making it you know because when I left you know you you got your parents at home and you know you're always thinking about your dad and mom. And, you know that they they like it home, and so you you gave away a lot to to and with the Dublin team and all that that I was playing with. You know, trying to play minor the next year, I still had another year or so to play. You know, so um, it's, that's in your mind that you want to go over and prove yourself. You know, and that you you do the right thing. So within reason, I I I did the right thing. You know, and uh, I looked after myself. But I, I have to say, the studies weren't as probably good as they would have been if I had my dad looking over my shoulder. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that might have, you know, my schoolwork might have been as good as it could have been. So, um, but, um, yeah, and I might have missed a few days of school that you normally wouldn't, you know, yeah, yeah. a big night out after a football game or something. But You got um, life lessons rather than your inter lessons. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But, um, but no, I, I, yeah, you know, it, it was all, you know, in, in hindsight now, I would never give, I wouldn't give it back, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. It, got, yeah, it got me ready for a lot of things in life after that, you know. But like even like even playing over there, that must have been like because you were probably the first wave of of Irish players that really went over and was making inroads. So, but was was that a bit of a was that a bit of a challenge for you initially trying to like was there a bit of a block from the Aussies watching these Irish lads coming in or was it just very much oh, you're part of the team? Come on in. Um, 
yeah, very, very, very different than what they get nowadays. Nowadays, it's uh, you know every one of them try to make the person fit in. They try to do you know they with, with everything from the club, you know the backup they get. They have somebody chaperoning them, you know, making sure that they're okay and they they're integrating and the whole thing. In our day, it was sink or sink or swim. There was hardly any of that, you know. And uh, the funny thing was, I remember. Um, um, at, the, at the start, like the coach that we had, he was the under-19 coach in Melbourne. Because in them days, we had under-19 Melbourne team and a reserves and senior. And so um, the under-19 coach and reserves coach was the same guy. And uh, he, did, he was from country Victoria, and he didn't agree with the Irish experiment. And he thought it was a waste of a draft pick to waste an Irish person when there was good enough players in the, in the, in the country to take, you know. So I got no... There was no love loss between the two of us, and he was really, really hard on, on, on me and the other Irish guys that came. And so it was hard. And then with the players, they were just trying to, you were trying to take their spot, some of them, you know. So that, that, that was, it was very, very competitive the whole time. So, and, and look, don't get me wrong, we, you know, we I made great friends, you know, in, in the long term ahead of it. But yeah, yeah. It was hard, hard work, and it was survival of the fittest. Um, and like there was a lot of long conversations back to my dad going, have I done the right thing here? This is so hard, you know, and it's so nobody really cares, you know, too much, you know. But it, it's probably a bit of a survival of the fittest, both mentally and physically, because physically there's new demands on you, like the game over there and even the training. Like, you know, I know boxing was part of the, the training programs for a, for a lot of teams. Uh like even the endurance running, acclimatizing to the heat, but then the mental challenge of having to deal with that as a young lad of like trying to get into a team when there's people that are saying, no, it's, it's, it, this is an Australian sport, you know, we only want Australians playing and, and trying to combat that and get the disciplines in place and, and constantly feel like you have to prove yourself. So that kind of war of attrition, did that kind of just make you the player that you became to be, all these kind of learnings, all these challenges? Yeah, look, it was, it, it, I suppose the other side of it was that things that have been in Gaelic football before I left were going obviously very well because yeah. as, as I was playing minor and we got the Alarm final, I was only 16 and I was playing senior at my club at the time and, and you know, and all the other age groups and it all came quite easy, the sport for me, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my goal was to play for Dublin seniors, you know, and it was kind of a, an easy track in my mind. But all of a sudden, this this new goal um, and was much much harder. There was like the guys there was a bigger pool of people here. The, the training was a lot advanced to what we were doing back home, because uh, obviously it was semi professional, um, and it was it was really really hard. Like we we went into a pre season straight away, where we ran up a, it was Mount Buller here. It's called. We ran up the mountain, fifteen and a half kilometers up a mountain, really steep mountain, and that was a race between fifty two guys. You know. And uh, you were tested and, you know, timed. And, and then the next day you had to go on, a, a you know, another grueling thing. And that went for, for, for four days, you know. And it was, it, you know, another day we had to, in the preseason, we had to do 100, 100 metre sprints in a row. And you got, you did it, you had to get 45 second rest between each one. So you did one every minute. And like, it was, it was extreme stuff, you know, that you were doing. And plus you were doing weights. We never touched weights before. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going into the gym and you just feel like the biggest weakling in the gym because they had like the, the weight on the, on the bar, the, the, the um, bench press, it just sits there and then pedals add weight to it. 
I remember picking her up and I could hardly lift the bloody thing off the <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, holy shit! I thought I was I thought I was pretty strong when I got there. Well, you're not strong. You haven't done any weights, you know. Yeah, so yeah. It was stuff like that. But um, and then you know it, it was you know what I thought you know where I should have been was always not as where I want where I was getting, you know. So that that made it harder emotionally, you know, because. You think you're, you know, you if you go back and don't play, you're going to be a failure, you know. And there was that with you as well. So it was a constant battle mentally, and um, the physical thing, you know, as well. Like um, I had seven operations in my in my four years in Melbourne, Jeez. and um, so I was always coming back from an injury, you know, and trying to. And the reason being that your your young body is not ready sometimes for that, you know. We all develop at different times, but I just wasn't ready for that that intensity of, of training and every, so I had no problem doing it when I was able to do it but I kept my body kept breaking down so you'd have an operation you'd get over it and you'd come back and and then you'd be, you'd be you would be behind the eight ball trying to catch up with these other guys you know and um, so you know so it was but in saying that uh, I was lucky enough to play to make it and play the AFL football there was a lot of guys never got to do that you know um, and that, so that that was at least I did that before you know before I went back. You know. yeah, but it's, it's funny you, you, you touch on that because I think that's been the downfall for a, a lot of players. Like I actually put myself in that bracket where I got brought on to the Dublin team in 2005. Never really done a gym program or anything. First gym session, I couldn't do one chin-up. Literally couldn't do one chin-up. And I was looking at Darren Holman, Kieran Whelan, Shane Ryan, Darren McGee, all these other midfielders who were just throwing weights around and I was like a little stick. And I remember Clarky, Paul Clark pulling me aside to say, look, you're going to have to bulk up and you're going to have to bulk up soon. So like you go on the creatine, but my body probably wasn't ready for what I was trying to do. And as a, as a result, I've had a bit of a prong cracker body ever since. Like, you know, I keep breaking down you know, every chance it gets. It just says, ah, this is too much. But you, you kind of, you were obviously trying to go through that and seven injuries, seven operations in four years is, is actually staggering to hear that as a number. When you make the decision to come back in 94, was it just to kind of say, I just want to come back and start enjoying football and, and go through, uh, like, just an easier schedule? Like, you know, there's not the intensity of having the, the gruelingness of running up a mountain for 15 kilometres or 100, 100 metre sprints. Like, you know, was that part of your, your thought process? Uh, no, no, not not really. Like, like by the time, by the time I got through it, and um, the last year here, I had a free run of of injury, of not having an injury. And um, but I was playing in the. I I'd gone from Melbourne to Port Melbourne, which at the time was like the second division. Um, and so I finally got a run of no injuries, and I ha I really really loved my last year playing for Port Melbourne. Right, so it was. It's like, you know, it's like, say, the English Premier League, you play for the second division, and it was the VFA, it was called at the time, which is now the VFL. And um, so you, you, you still had your, your game was still on TV, some of your games and different stuff, you know, and it was, so you were, you went from being a small fish in a big sea to a big fish in a, sm a small sea, you know, so it was much more enjoyable. And they actually like, loved having you there, you know, and you were one of the main players you know, so they're relying on you and, you, and, and all of a sudden I'm not injured. I'm, and I, I was playing, playing the forward line. They'd all, always played me in the back line at Melbourne. 
and I hated the back line. And, there, and fellas that played with me in Dublin will tell you that was a shit back. Anyway. <laughs> you know, so it, once I got to the forward line, I could actually express myself and show them what I was able to do, you know. And, um, and at the end of that year, unfortunately, they, the guy that was my coach in there went to Sydney as an assistant coach. And he said that we were going we're gonna, to, I'm going to recommend a draft to Sydney Swans. And so I booked myself in for the draft. It didn't take me. He rang me and said, oh, look, it, it, you know, I, I didn't push it hard enough because I'm just new in the club. But, you know, if you just maybe, maybe next season, you know, and I said, look, I've had enough. You know, I, 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 I always wanted to play for Dublin. I always wanted to. And I said, look, Dublin had actually lost a few up to, up to 90, the end of 93. And I thought, this is my opportunity, you know, not to miss out. This team is pretty good. I think they might do something. Um, and it's a chance to go back. So, um, and during that 93 season, while I was playing for them, I had flown back twice to go for interviews for the fire brigade. And um, so I was starting to, to think about, about it, you know, because I needed to, you know, not just rely on getting drafted again back to Melbourne. I wanted to have an, another option, you know. So I was already in the process of it. And to answer your question, I, I had no problem with doing that, that, um, that type of training and, you know, fellas that played with me over there will attest to it. My my strengths were were um, endurance and you know and, and doing the strength stuff. So I wanted to I was definitely going to continue that too because that was something that I thought would get me ahead of the rest of the posse, you know. You've kind of you've answered my question by saying that you wanted to come back and be in the Dublin Fire Brigade because if you're gonna pick a more grueling job to be in, I don't I don't know what it is, like you know, so you weren't coming back for the easy life. You were coming back to work in Dublin Fire Brigade and come back to an inter-county setup. So that, that's, again, both physical and mental demands, again, that you just kind of seem to throw yourself into every situation. Was, was it coming back into the Dublin Fire Brigade? Like, because it is it is such a, a grueling job in terms of the demand on the body, uh, the work you're seeing, also the the shift work because I've, I've actually interviewed Mikey Carton uh, and I've interviewed Lindsay Davey both work for the Dublin Fire Brigade at the moment and Lindsay was saying because of COVID-19 she can't swap her shifts around so she's very regimented on her schedule and she can't now swap and get off training so she's kind of concerned about missing games and missing matches was that a challenge that you had as well in terms of the workload? Um. Yeah, look, it, 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 was, it was challenging with, with actually, like you say, getting to training and getting your matches and swapping around shifts and all. But you were obviously, you know, there was no set rules on, in the fire brigade of getting off. So you were always doing that, you know, aside from the fellas who just turn up to training, whereas you've done a whole lot of things to try and get people to work for you and, you know, get officers to allow you to come out for an hour here or whatever it was and get covered. And so it was always a, a challenge and a balancing act trying to get to, to play, you know, and, and, and do your games. The actual physical thing of the fire brigade, I mean, if, when, you're, when you're working a night shift and you're on an ambulance and you're out all night, you are stuffed, you know, when you get to, you know, go straight to a game the next day. So things like that does impede you. But a lot of the time you try to manage it that you're not going to be, you know, before the big games that you're not going to be hopefully working a night shift, you know. Um, but sometimes it just happened and you, and you had no choice and you had to turn up. You know, and I remember, you know, guys in the fire brigade, you know, would be given out to me for trying to get them to, to go out and cover me on a, on, a, on a call because I want to sleep because I have a game the next day. And, <laughs> and 
And these guys didn't, had no interest in Gaelic football. They were soccer heads, you know. And, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care about their game next day, you know. So, you know, it wasn't as, as easy as, you know. But um, in saying that, like, you have to do it, you know, and you just got on with it. But in the other side of that was you did have a lot of time off to do, to do extra other things, you know. Like, so the shift work wasn't as bad in some instances. But um, yeah, look, it was it was what it was. It is what it is, you know. But it was at that time, you know, you didn't have a lot of jobs to just walk into, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you, you, when you come back in '94, you, you go into that job, and as you say, Dublin are kind of there or thereabouts year on year. And then '94 again, so close, but just not over the line. When you were when you came back in '94, was it? Did you settle in straight away, or did it take you a few weeks and months to kind of get? more embedded into this because you only came back for the national league was it yeah so i came back and as i said in the january but i i had the, the two the two weeks i flew home for the fire brigade interviews the year before and um, somebody has rang me as somebody has rang pat o'neill at the time and said brian steins is here you, sh- you should get him out for training and the next minute like pat o'neill rings me and goes hi brian uh, do you want to chop down for training? And I went, sure, lovely, you know, like, so I was here for a week and just running around doing interviews with Fire Brigade and the next minute I'm out doing training with the, with the Dublin lads, you know, and, um, and, and they were playing Mead, remember they were playing Mead that week in the, in the Leinster Championship. And uh, so he, I was just on the B team midfield against Jack Sheedy and somebody else, um, probably Paul Whelan or somebody in, and at the time. Um, and so I just played a game on the Tuesday, the, the Thursday night and the Saturday morning, you know, the games kind of came, I think it was, might have been 30 minutes on the Tuesday night and 25 or 30 minutes on the Thursday and 10 minutes on the Saturday. And then, um, but I was fit in the middle of the season. So, you know, and I, I, I played okay. I, you know, I, I didn't feel for me it was a, it was a big um, change up, you know. And uh, Pat O'Neill sort of said to me, look, you're, you're at the standard. If you want to come back, we'd love to have you sort of thing. So I had a kind of a, an, in, an, an insight that it, that it was going to happen, you know, that, he, that I would get a look, looked at. But then when I came home that start of that year, it was really bad weather the start of that year. So I, I, went to, I needed to have a game to try and impress to get into the panel. Um, and there was, there was no games, you know. So I remember um, we had a practice match organised with Ali Bowden and, and Blessington um, because just, just to get some football and I kind of, made them bloody get a practice game and it was the middle of winter and so next minute anyway I remember um, uh, 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 Brogan turned up who was a selector at the time and turned up to to watch this game in the middle of bloody Wicklow somewhere you know a practice game and the guys are going one of the Dublin selectors is here I wonder why you know (laughs) and I said yeah what a coincidence you know and uh, so anyway he um, then I you know they obviously watched me there and so they cut Came to Collins says, "Come on, dance training," um, and I went down. I was only here a few, a few weeks, you know, because I I spent Christmas in Bondi Beach with my wife, and was you know I was training with a with a foot with a round ball for the first time with her on on, on the beach you know, and and kicking the ball and got trying to find a park and and so that, that's what I'm training with. She didn't even play football and she's throwing the ball to me and stuff, you know. And next minute, a few weeks later, like I said, where I've come home and um, it's freezing cold. It was February, you know, frozen and that. And next when he calls me and says, right, come down. I did a, did a training session. And he goes, right, you're a sub for the weekend against uh, Kildare in, 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 um, down in Kildare for the first round. I think it was the second, was it the second, it was the second half of the league. It used to start before Christmas. 
So it was the last few games after Christmas of the league season. And uh, so I'm standing on the bench. They didn't even have a tracksuit. They didn't have a Dublin tracksuit. So they gave me some shorts and socks, you know. And so I was down in, um, uh, what's, the, what's their ground in, in uh, Newbridge? Newbridge, Down yeah. in Newbridge. And, uh, and I remember my parents and my family ever came down and stand. And so I got a Melbourne tracksuit on, running up and down the sideline. And, uh, and I remember we were two points down and they said, right, you're on. You know, it was about 15 minutes to go or something. And I ran on and um, like baptism of fire, like there was no yeah, yeah. wet ground, you know, trying to pull my feet out of it. And then when I got a ball, I got a ball early and I kicked it and I hit the post and came back going, oh, crap, you know. And then I've got another one and I've kicked it in and dropped it into the goalie's hands. And I thought, oh, shit, like, you know. And anyway, we, we're in the middle of the field. I remember somebody's kind of come in and, and bumped into me, you know, when I was down trying to pick up a ball, one of them's hit me in the head. So I've jumped up and threw the ball at him and a big row started, you know, and I thought, well, at least I'm doing something. <laughs> and, uh, a big row started and then the row finished and we seemed to get going and we got two points and had a draw, you know. So I was going, well, I didn't really contribute much but start the fight. Dream uh, <laughs> debut, yeah? Yeah, so we, we got a draw and, um, and I, thought, I thought, well, look, that's okay. Hopefully, you know, I'll get a, a better goal the next day. And so I, I had two, you know, another two weeks of training before the next game against Down and then I get to this is in Crow Park I'm thinking this is a nice surface you know I'll be able to yeah, yeah, yeah. down here anyway I started on the bench finished on the bench <laughs> didn't even get off the, didn't even get on the ground I'm thinking like, what am I doing like what's how are you going to see me there's only one more game now you know and then you're not going to see me so uh, anyway we played Derry last game they just won the Ireland final the year before yeah, yeah. and so he's, he next minute I'm starting so he said we're going to start you um, and we, we played Derry, and I, and I played well in that game. I played as a half-forward extra midfielder thing. And, um, you know, so we beat Derry that game. We played well, and, and I played well. And so then, um, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, this, this is it. I, hopefully it'll be fine. And then we played a quarter-final the next, you know, two weeks later against Armagh up there. And it was torrential rain. I don't know how they played the game, but it was just the pitch was in bits. I started half-forward. First 15 minutes... They kicked, I think they kicked two, two, three uh, in the first 15 minutes. Our mark kicked and the ball never even went up the field. So, and, uh, and I was taken off at 15 minutes. I've gone past him the ball hasn't come up yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, our pal Neil saying, you know, last, la, la, last in, you know, first out. And uh, I said, oh, whatever. And, uh, and anyway, we, we, were, we were beaten. They lost the game. And, and then so it was a... It was a touch and go then because we were, you know, we were doing practice games and you know as you do around the country, um, and then I got a good run then, you know, and I, I, I was, you know, starting to get my, you know, the ground was getting harder and you know I was starting to get to to the run of the game and, and getting into the skills of it and um, and I, I and then we were playing the games between each other and, and they were going well and I thought, great, you know, we're, I, sh- I should be fine. I'll be midfield and all these practice games and everything will be grand. And then um, my wife was my wife. Who's my wife now? Was was only um, we were only getting engaged then, so she didn't come back for the first year. I said, "Give me a year, you know, and try and get this thing set up." Um, and the the, the 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 Australian team was ringing me every week to say, "Come back, you know, we we'll yeah. um, we because we, they they still pay me. They paid you well, you know, in this league." And they said, "We we want you, you know, there's a spot there." And so they were monitoring. I said, "Look, um, it's a knockout thing here. We you know we'll see how it go, you know." Um, and then my wife flew over for the Kildare, it was Kildare in 94, the first round, 
wife flew over. She comes in two days before the game. And, uh, and uh, I said, so I've got bad news for you. I, I haven't been picked. I'm on the, I'm on the bench, you know. And I, and I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I was pretty confident in myself at the time that I, that I thought it was good enough, you know. And, and uh, anyway, I wasn't picked. And um, I remember going up to Pat O'Neill and said, um, on the Tuesday night, and said, I can't believe you're not going to pick me. And he goes, sorry. And I said, I, he said, I haven't picked the team yet. And I said, I know you're not going to pick me. You've got me in the B team. You know, I haven't been in that team yet. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know if you know how it goes. You know, you B team on a Tuesday night. You're yeah. Been and not being picked, you know. And he said, look, I haven't picked the team. Anyway, the Thursday night comes again. And he calls me in before he announced the team. And he goes, I haven't picked you. And I went, oh. I said, at this stage, I said, I, I know you weren't going to pick me. I told you that on Tuesday, you know. But he said, you're, you're going to be the first substitute in. And I, I said, oh, okay, you know. That's, and he says, it could be after 15 minutes, you know. And I thought, I said, nobody puts anybody on after 15 minutes. In them days, it was three subs, yeah. you know. And um, so anyway, that, that was it. And um, so I told my wife, okay, if we, if we lose this game, I'm on the flight next week. And the team over there had paid for the flights and everything. He said, no, you know, great, you're going to come back. I hadn't started the fire brigade. That was I was on a a thing where you know it was a year later by the time I actually got into start. So with that, I went. She went out and she was sort of in two minds where she wanted me to win or lose because I was going to go back to Australia with her, you know. And um, I remember <laughs> she was in the Melbourne track, so I she understand. Yeah, yeah. She was going, "Ah, oh, great, he's going to come back with me, and everything will be fine." And I remember sitting in the bench because nobody else knows this in the team and. Um, 15 minutes into the game, we, we were down six points to one, seven points to one, I think it was, against Galera. Galera were all over them. And um, and next minute, it was, I remember it was a 19-minute mark, Paniel says, right, warm up. And I remember starting to warm up and thinking, why did I say it was good enough to play? Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, holy crap, you know, what, what am I going to do here with six points down? And, uh, and he gives me the slip and he goes, right, go on, you're on, you know, it's 20-minute mark. I never run now thinking, shit, I better prove myself now after telling them that he's mad yeah. not me. <laughs> and I, I gave the, the sheet to the referee and I remember standing there and thinking, don't stuff it up. And in the very start, a big ball was like a Gary Young was kicked up in the air. I remember standing out near the sideline going, please don't drop it, please don't drop it, please don't drop it. <laughs> and the ball came in, I caught it, gave a handball off and thought, okay, I'm off. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and we, we, I remember we came back, we, we got a point in injury time uh, to draw the game, the last kick of the game, to draw the game. And then I, I, I started every game ever, ever after that in my career. So that was the, uh, my, my, my baptism of fire. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and obviously we got to the Ireland final that year, so we didn't go back to Australia. And my wife had to, ended up coming and living there the next year. <laughs> so she never forgave Pat O'Neill for bringing you on in the 19th minute. <laughs> so yeah, no, Pat and Fairness is true to his word, you know. Yeah, it's fair. It, so, it, like, actually, one of the things you pointed out there about challenging the manager, you know, I, I don't think that happens enough in the game anymore. Like, you know, I think people kind of can kind of accept it, or if they, if they like, as talking to a few players, and I'm not, this isn't Dublin specific now. It's it's kind of wider county. Haven't talked to a few different players. It's like when they don't get what they want, they just toys can go out of the pram and and they just drop themselves off the panel or they go into that self-hate state of mind where they just kind of everything's against them and no matter what they do they're never going to get a look in so they don't try 
and they don't push themselves. It was great to see that you knew your strengths, you knew what you could bring to the table, and you were you had the, I suppose, the confidence to be able to challenge partners' decision. That's like that's huge to do. Um, yeah, and and it's interesting because um, I wouldn't, I never did that in Australia. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I took all this abuse off of managers in Australia. We're just finally venting, were you? Yeah, and I, and I remember leaving Australia and said to myself, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to sit there and, and take that, that sort of stuff again without speaking up for myself. Um, and it was a lesson that took me, you know, that four or five years to, to learn, the four years in Melbourne anyway, to learn. Because I did do it a bit more when, when, I, when I left Melbourne. But um, as I said, it was one thing I said, I'm not going to do that again. And it was something that I would pass on to guys is if, you need to, if you're not confident and you're not going to back yourself, nobody else is, you know, and you, so you do need to, to stand up for yourself and especially in, in that, in that, in at that level, you know. As you said, it reaped the rewards because you, you got your chance, you proved yourself and then you started from there on in. And this is where I want to lead into now uh, because time is getting away from us. It is that 95, that moment there. Where you you've had a good run of games, you've played in your favourite position in midfield, you've got the like you've got the confidence, and then you, you start understanding people's games because you're playing more with them in your favourite position. Did '95, did the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything just align for you, and you just had that that year you dreamt of? Yeah, look, it was um, it, it was like it was fantastic. '95, '94, we we left it behind us. Like it was just yeah. terrible. It's just terrible the way we, we lost it. We should never lost that final. It was terrible. Um, but 95, yeah, everything came together. I think as the whole team, you know, and for me, I was a year into it, so it was better. And, um, you know, I, I think everything, especially up to Leinster final and, and sort of into semi-final, but um, uh, I still think we probably, if, if we had have drawn against Tyrone, because they did get a disallowed point at the end, if they had got that draw, I don't know what would have happened in the replay because Charlie Redmond would have been suspended and a few of us were kind of getting a bit tired at that stage, you know, and it was yeah. an old team. So, um, you know, Faith obviously had something to do with it as well that we did get over the line that day. But um, we definitely, you know, all, all the stars did a line that year to make it happen and it hadn't happened before. So very, very lucky to, uh, to have been a part of it. And, uh, you know, that was a highlight of my sporting career. And um, like, what did it mean to you to be able to go back to the likes of the Bally Bowden and the schools around Bowden with the cup? You know, because I know you're, <clears throat> I know you're still a big club man, and uh, I actually want to touch on Bowden playing in the All Ireland final real after this now. But was that just you know you cementing you back home, being able to bring the cup around, like share that moment with fans, with family, with friends? Was that just everything that you wanted when you made the decision to come back? Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, like as I said, we, we hadn't done it for, for 12 years at that stage, but it was, um, and you know, for Bally Bowden, like there hadn't been a player for, for a long time, you know, to do it, but it was like Sean Doherty had been in Bally Bowden before, but he had left and gone elsewhere after that. But it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge, huge honour for me, you know, with, especially with your schools, you know, where you were brought up. You know, I was in St. Joseph's and in Turner, I was able to go back and bring the cup there. And then, um, you know, we, even with the De La Salle's rugby school, I went to just to give it, bring it there, you know, and they were as appreciative and 
and obviously with the club when we, we had a, like I bought the whole team came back to the to my club when we brought the cup there one night and it was about two or three thousand people in the car park like it was it was enormous you know and it was they did a great job Ali Bowden at the time um, and it was uh, yeah it was just 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 a great time and and then we we actually won the championship you know a month or so later yeah no unbelievable oh and that was the first one they ever won in the history of the club. So it was um, it was an amazing year for for me, you know, because we never won either after. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so it all happened in, in one time, but you know, you can't plan these things. You know, it'd be nice to have space now a little bit to get a to get another cup. But um, yeah, no, it was a it was a fairy tale for me, you know, and it was a lifetime ambition and to do it all and um, in both instances at the same time, it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, you've got to you've got to achieve so much in your career, like you know, playing in the AFL. In, uh, making that decision at an early age, coming back, winning in All Ireland, winning a club championship with Bowden, and then also representing Ireland and, and getting to play against your brother Jim, like that must have just been a surreal moment as well. Like you know, like nearly, like I'm, I'm just going to say, was it the cherry on the cake kind of job being able to play that moment and have that with him on the pitch? Yeah, yeah. Look, to 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 play with him here first of all with Melbourne was 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 one of the you know sort of the minute he went there, that's what I said I wanted to do. I wanted to go over and play with you. So that was a, a great moment. And then the next part of that was to play for Ireland was a great honour for me. You know? And to play against yeah. Australia and Jimmy playing for Australia. Plus I had a bit to prove to a few Australians that I think I, I, I was better than you thought I was. But um, So to do that and uh, go back and th- that was amazing. And for my family as well in Crow Park that time for, for us to play against each other. That was his last uh, game against me, you know, the two games. That was his last game ever. So that was a huge thing for, for me to do with, with my brother, even though we were on opposite sides, you know, with the banter, it was good fun. And, and um, you know, and, and I got to... Uh, I got to play okay, and uh, you know, so um, that was that was the, the icing on the cake. That was something I always wanted to do as well was to play for Ireland because he had done it at an early an earlier age in '87, and it stopped then. And I thought I'm never going to get a chance, but they started in '98, so it was great to be able to get picked number one and then to 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 play and have an influence was was uh, was fantastic, you know. Uh, absolutely, and and I, the reason why I wanted to touch on the Bowden thing as well because I remember what uh, Andy McEntee did before the All-Ireland Final is bring the, the team up to meet Paul McGinley up where uh, the memorial is for your, your brother, like, you know, and just to still have a part of it, to still have it. Did you know that was going to happen? Did Andy ring you and say, look, we're, we're going to do this, or is it just... No, 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 I didn't know any of that, no. No? No, no, so, um, yeah, that, that's great to hear, you know, that they, that they still use something there, and it's great, because Paul McGinley's a great fella. He trained... He played with Jimmy's team and my dad was his manager and I used to train with them, you know, because I was, even though I was younger, I trained with them. And, um, and Porrick Harrington actually was on my, was on my teams coming up through Valley Bowden and we were in class together a little bit. So, um, we, you know, so it was amazing two two golfers that made, you know, one British, yeah, yeah, one yeah. Uh, titles and Ryder Cups and all this sort of stuff. And uh, coming from, from, from uh, being involved with, with me and my brother, you know, and my dad being his manager. So, it was great, you know. I actually met Paul when I was in an interview on the on that Ireland final day on on the on the on the sideline, and about four four or five years ago. And uh, me and Paul we wanted to do it together and on the big screen, and uh, so it was fantastic, you know, to meet him again and uh, catch up, you know. But yeah, no, so that's interesting to hear. 
like there's a few things I'd love to talk to you a bit more about, and that's obviously one of them. But the kind of a few minutes left that I just want to touch on is like this year now, the 25th anniversary. You know, I think you're you're hoping to come back for the the All Ireland final, were you? And will you come back now on Christmas time? If if the, yeah, like probably not. Pity my my two kids were were going to be traveling around and we're going to meet us. Myself and my wife were going, oh, we're going to meet us there. And the whole family was going, my dad and my mother and father were going to be home. They live out here. And we're all going to go um, to the game, you know. So it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and then meet up with the team and all that. But unfortunately, it's not going to happen now. And the week before Christmas, the problem is they're not going to let us travel from here without doing two weeks quarantine coming back. And uh, so if I went over and did that, I, I wouldn't be able to spend Christmas with my family, you know. So... Um, you know, I think it's just all all too hard unless unless things ease up and we get a we get a miracle cure before then. I don't think it's it's going to happen. I was hoping that they they wouldn't do it this year and we could do a you know twenty five and twenty six year next year and they could combine them. You know, so um, but it doesn't look like I'm going to get my wish. No, well, you never know. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I was talking to Anthony Davy and, and obviously Claire won the World All Ireland, so. He was looking forward to to that moment as well, and he said, "Like the biggest challenge now is is actually trying to get into the suit after having such a a good time at home with COVID and, <laughs> and being being close to the fridge." So, yeah, look, I think there's a few challenges. Yours are a bit different than his now, but uh, yeah, just, <laughs> there's, as I said, I have about ten more questions I want to talk to you about, but I know you have a you and me, and, and time is getting away from us. So I have two questions to ask you. That's it. Is uh, just as a kind of wrap up. The first is, who's the best player you've ever played with? That's a good question. Um, who's the best player I ever played with? Probably um, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Everyone answers. Colly Moore and the answer. The and the Colly's the nicest guy in the world, and I had to make him even get an answer out. Uh, yeah, um, with the Dublin team, because I've obviously played with the Irish team, I've played with some good players there, you know. Um, but then um, I did I did actually play um, a practice game, uh, sorry, an exhibition game with Jack, o Jack O'Shea one day. And he was my, uh, my him and, and Brian Mullins were my childhood heroes. So I got to play with him. So I'd say he would be probably my my best one. But with, with, with the Dublin team at, at the time, probably, um, probably Paul Curran was probably probably the best um, player at that team. But well, we, we had some some very good ones in that team. I mean, um, you know, Keith, Keith Barr was obviously there at the time and uh, and Desi Farrell was a was a was a very good player too in that team, you know, and um, Charlie's free taken. Um, you know, they they'd be players that would stand out. But um but yeah no so uh, they they they'd that'd probably be be the guys, you know. Yeah, I, I actually uh, like I grew up watching the Foster's top five caches, and I used to love the the Aussie real side of it. But I yeah. like as a midfielder coming up between yourself, Jack Sheedy, but Anthony Total. I thought there was an era of great midfielders in around when you were playing as well. Like Total was one of my favourite players to ever watch. Just yeah, lucky, lucky enough that he managed me with the Irish team as well. But uh, I think you, you, Jack O'Shea is a nice one to think. Then, if on the current Dublin team, if you could play alongside one of them players, who would you pick? Um, probably um, Kilkenny 
uh, and um, probably Kilkenny. He's uh, he's just a marvelous player. He sets up all the play, he'd finish all the stuff off, and he can hold the temperament, you know, to, to come and go. But um, he's just one of a of a of a band of them, though, you know. There's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a few very good players on that team, you know. But he he would probably be the one I'd, I'd pick out. I had to only go for one, you know. And he dipped his toe in the water with the Aussie rules. Do you think it's something that he could be a success in if he did ever make the decision to go over? Definitely. Definitely would be. Definitely. But, um, yeah. No, yeah. I haven't got one. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've, I've got, so, yeah, definitely he would be. He would be it. So, um, but okay. he, 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 he would be two or three more of them guys who probably make it now at this stage. Well, look, but, um, let's hope that doesn't happen. I know you, you probably get referral fees and, and scout fees and all that kind of stuff, but let's hope that we keep riding the crest of this wave and none of them go on the export market just yet. Uh, as I said, I could talk to you for another 45 minutes and I still wouldn't cover what I want to cover, but I know, I know you're busy there and I know you have to get away. So I want to thank you firstly for giving, giving your time up because uh, I know you're still getting up to speed and there's new things happening and new developments happening back in Oz that you're trying to get set for. But it was great to catch up, great to reminisce. Uh, hopefully things do change and you do get to come back for the, the reunion. And, and if you do, we'll, we'll definitely... I have a bar with Michael Darren McCauley, so we'll bring you in for a point or two and if you do get the chance to come back. So, look, thanks for your time. No, Stay it safe. Was, it was a pleasure. I will say one thing. I will have to mention one person because he'll kill me if I don't. Him. Paul Beelan. Best player I ever played with. <laughs> <laughs> well, cut that out, Beelan. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll send it to him, uh, sir. Thanks, you. Thanks. You. <laughs> say we're joining the hip, so I better mention it. Yeah, yeah. All right. a good dog, Peter. Look, cheers for your time, Stancy. Stay safe. Time. Take care. Bye bye.